Well, good morning. So I was half tempted to come out of the gate and pick someone at random to pray for us. But I'm not going to do that. But I wonder what might have just gone through your mind when I said that I might have done that. Might have just been like, uh, you. Yes, you. I'm looking right at you. But it's not going to be you. <laughs> Maybe thank God. Think about uh, praying. Uh, moments when we are called upon to pray. Maybe it's a great family gathering. Um, you have uh, many relatives come from different states, and you get maybe it's Thanksgiving, maybe it's Christmas, and you gather all together in one room, and there's people that you haven't seen for years, and you're like, okay, you kind of like make pleasant, and and then uh, the great meal is going to be had, and the the host of the meal kind of like, very much to your surprise, looks to you and says, would you be willing to give the blessing? Don't. <laughs> immediately you're like, uh, praying? Like, how, how do I pray? <laughs> what, am I, what am I supposed to... I think there's two responses. You know, some, some of us are immediately deer in headlights, bug-eyed, and like, um, <laughs> I... I, uh, I guess, I, I don't know what to say, I don't, uh, you know, you're, I'm on the spot. Other of us might be like, oh, thank God, I'm looking for an opportunity to just ramble out everything that's on my mind. I have so much to say to the Lord, I could just, I could just go on and on. I, I, this is great. But praying isn't just about rambling what's Inside, there, there is certainly something to be said about our ability to come before God and to offer up whatever is on our heart. And that is true, and I, I would never want to diminish that. But praying is a little bit more than that. Praying is, is about uh, being formed and shaped in our thoughts by, by connecting with God uh, intimately in prayer. And so I, I see praying actually has a bit of a problem to it. We don't know how to pray. And we're not alone in this. Actually, it was the disciples themselves that said to Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. We can, we can really have a lot of um, sympathy with that statement. Here's another scenario. Imagine you have a close friend that maybe comes over to your place or you go out to meet them for coffee and they start pouring their heart out to you and you, you, you start to feel yourself sweat a bit and as you start to think, oh, what this person really needs is someone to pray with them. And I think that's me because I'm the only one here. And again, you're, it, it might be two different responses. One person like, I would love to pray for this person, but then they pour out everything that's on their hearts and minds, and it really doesn't help. Or they're, they're, they're too cowardice. They, they are too scared. Um, and maybe they actually miss the opportunity because they don't know how to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. Now, the way that Jesus responds to this is by giving the Lord's Prayer in uh, Luke's Gospel, uh, what we might call the Our Father. But if you're tracking along with what Jesus is doing at this point, 
the Lord's Prayer is really a super condensed form of the entire book of Psalms. Every single line of that can, sums up the great heart and breadth of what the Psalms have to offer the people. And so even the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5.19 says, when, when you're filled with the Spirit, what you ought to be doing is you ought to be speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. You ought to be speaking to one another with psalms. It's a communal activity. It's an activity that we're supposed to be doing together. Now, the Psalms, I want to talk about the Psalms a little bit because we've been going through uh, a series on the Psalms called Celebrating in the Psalms. But I think there's this lurking problem in the background that a lot of us might feel but maybe not have been able to put um, words to. The Psalms are foreign, the Psalms are strange, the Psalms are confusing, and the Psalms are grotesque at times, at times. At times they're real sweet, and at times they are so knowable and they're personal and there might be a verse here. But then they surprise us all of a sudden and there's such heart and anguish or there's lands mentioned like Bashan and uh, the Amorites and what is this about? And really, the, the problem is the Psalms don't feel like our prayers. So, Paul tells the church, speak to one another with psalms, but the psalms don't even feel like our prayers. Are we just supposed to be speaking other people's prayers to each other? These were the prayers of Israel. These were the prayers of David. In what way can they become our prayers? Well, I would suggest that the solution to this problem is to actually recognize that the psalms were someone else's prayers. When we treat the Psalms as the prayers of David or the prayers of Israel, or even I might suggest as the prayers of Jesus, it's in those moments that our imaginations are ignited and we are brought into the story, we are brought into the life of the Psalm, and it's in those moments that we can then maybe subtly discover this Psalm is my prayer. These psalms belong to us. These psalms belong to us. So as I said, we've been going through a series called Celebrating in the Psalms. And I would suggest that this was what Israel did. This is what Jesus did. This is what the early church did. They celebrated in the psalms. And I take celebrating, you know, we we have one notion of celebrating that is we're going to go and we're going to have a great party and we're going to you know, put up the banners and get the confetti and we're going to have a really great time. We want to really make sure we celebrate this person and we'll get the best cake that they really like or it's a birthday or it's Christmas, you know, it's a holiday. But then there's this notion of celebrating. Maybe you come over to uh, someone's house for dinner and you're the guest and they just treat you so well. They, as soon as you're greeted in, uh, you're welcomed with a mousse-bouche, or some hors d'oeuvres, and, and you're brought in, and uh, the house is just set at the perfect temperature. You're so comfortable. It's so nice. You, you're put on the couch, and there's a nice uh, shrimp cocktail, perhaps. You know, and, and you just feel celebrated. It's not exactly the uh, party with loud music, but it, there's something like 
this person is commemorating this moment. It's, it, they're taking time out to be present with you and to, and to offer much. You, you feel celebrated. And I would suggest this is actually the similar sort of idea of how Israel, Jesus, the early church, celebrated in the Psalms. They took time out with each other and they soaked in the Psalms. They were soaking in the Psalms. And I think that's how we celebrate in the Psalms. We celebrate in the Psalms by soaking in the Psalms. And when you think about it, of course they were soaking in the Psalms. The Psalms is the most quoted book of the Old Testament in the New Testament. The Psalms are on the lips of Jesus as he's being crucified. Two separate Psalms. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Into your hands I commit your spirit. These are two little snippet quotations that link back to whole Psalms. I want, I want you to imagine yourself, maybe you, you go into, um, maybe you go into a coffee shop and you see that there's these two older men sitting on the side and they're having a conversation with each other and they're going back and forth. But you, as you're ordering your coffee, you're, you start to recognize their, their conversation's pretty heavy. I can't really make out the words, I can't really make out what's being said, but one, one guy in particular is really laying out his heart. And then you just catch this single phrase from something he said, and he just says, well, he saved a wretch like me. And immediately you are cued in. It's a snippet quotation from Amazing Grace. And you realize this, this guy is bringing up his testimony, and this little snippet quotation of that hymn brings the whole life of that hymn, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Blind, but now I see. And this person has taken that up into their own story of, of what is their life. And you yourself now go out of the coffee shop, maybe humming the tune. Because music has this way, when linked with words, it, it helps you to remember what you've been told. It gives gravity to what you've been told. It, it brings you into a story. So the Psalms for Israel were, was this song book, this prayer book. Actually, I, I just heard this last week. I was listening to a podcast where uh, Scott McKnight mentioned that Israel was to, uh, they prayed the Psalms three times a day, in the morning, in the afternoon, and in the evening. That was their practice in the first century, at least. But Imagine you're going through the Psalms, and you're not reading all the Psalms every day, but you're going through the Psalms three times a day throughout the day, your whole life. You would be soaked in these Psalms. You'd be saturated with these Psalms. They would form the way that you think, the way that you, uh, the, the, the way that you believe in who God is and what He's done for you. They inform your thinking. So I would suggest that what we need to do in order to make these psalms not feel as foreign, as confusing, or even grotesque, is to, is to enter back in with some historical imagination into the original life of the psalms in order to discover how these psalms belong to us as the church. So, we are going to be in Psalm 136. If you would open up uh, your Bible, I believe it's page 504. Yes, love it when I'm right. Um, so page 504, Psalm 136. And I'm going to take us 
uh, into uh, three different vignettes. Three different vignettes. Where we're going to look at what this psalm might have looked like uh, for, uh, for different people throughout time. And so I'm going to begin with the story of Israel and their vignette and what that might have looked like. But what I want to do is, and you know, humor me a little bit, is I want to bring us into that life. And I'm going to read through this psalm together with you. But this is a very interesting psalm. If you look down at it, you might see that this is a responsive psalm in that there's a line read by a leader and then there's a tag line that the congregation responds with. And you'll see it's his love endures forever. So if you get lost, you just repeat out after every line that I will speak, his love endures forever. It'll also be up on the screen. And so I want you to imagine yourself. Ancient Israel and the setting is that Israel is scattered across the land. There, this is a, a land, it's kind of small, it's about the size of New Jersey, but you're scattered across, maybe you're up in the Galilee. There's no cars, you can't get down to Jerusalem, uh, which might be about like 100, 125 miles away. It, it's going to take you time to get down there. It takes you a couple of days, uh, maybe even a week, if you're pacing yourself. And so you don't really make the journey often. You're supposed to go down there for feast days, like Passover. But it's expensive to do that journey. You, you also have to tend to your farm. You have to tend to your flocks. And so, sadly, you neglect it pretty often. But you think to yourself, better is one day in the courts where God dwells with his people in Jerusalem than a thousand elsewhere where I'm, I'm doing the daily grind, I'm, I'm doing what I have to do each day just to make a living. But then that one day comes, and you gather with your family, and you're doing the big trek uh, down to Jerusalem. It takes that week, but as you are approaching the city, you begin to hear this roar build up, and it's the crowds, and the crowds are building up, and, and you begin to recognize little verses because they're singing psalms as they go up to Jerusalem, as they go up to the temple, and you recognize little bits here and there. You find yourself joining in with someone you've never even met before because this is your stuff. This is your people. This is what you live for. Better is one day than a thousand elsewhere. And you go up into the temple and you hear someone shout out, Psalm 136! And you're like, oh, I know this one. This is such a good one. And you look next to you and you see there are some people here that don't know any of these psalms. But the leader says, don't worry if you don't know uh, this psalm. This is an easy one. All you have to do is respond, His love endures forever. And so, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. To Him alone uh, who does great wonders. Who by his understanding made the heavens. Who spread out the earth upon the waters. Who made the great lights. The sun to govern the day. 
the moon and stars to govern the night. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt and brought Israel out from among them. With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, to him who divided the Red Sea asunder and brought Israel through the midst of it, but swept Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea. To him who led his people through the wilderness. To him who struck down great kings. And killed mighty kings. Sihon, king of the Amorites. And Og, king of Bashan. And gave their land as an inheritance. An inheritance to his servant Israel. He remembered us in our low estate and freed us from our enemies. He gives food to every creature. Give thanks to the God of heaven. His love endures forever. Pretty repetitive. And there's also some lines in there. You know, we, we sang a song that mimics this psalm. There's some lines in there that we don't sing. I mean, can you, like, imagine it? And he killed great kings. His love endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan, his love endures forever. Sing praise. It just really wouldn't work for us. But again, let's put back that historical imagination. This is the story of your people. It begins in verses 1 through 3. Uh, let me make sure that's right. <laughs> yes, I was right. Love being right. It begins in verses 1 through 3, where it, it just approaches your God, the God of Israel, and it declares how great this God is. He's the God of gods. He's the Lord of lords. And who is this God? It's the God of Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. It's the God who made a good and lush world and put people in the middle of it to enjoy it forever and to, to, to care for it and to be partnered with God. And then it moves on into the story of the Exodus. It's the story of uh, Israel being liberated out of the house of slavery. But it's not only the story of out of the house of slavery, it's also the story of into their inheritance. Into a land that the Lord your God cares for because he is dwelling in the midst of it. And so now, he remembers us in our lowest state and freed us from our enemies. He gives food to every creature, gives thanks to the God of heaven. You've been spending a thousand days elsewhere, not in Jerusalem, You've come down one day to enter into the courts of God because that's where he dwells. And you sing this psalm with the community of your people. And it tells you, he gave this land. So even you go back up to the Galilee, you go back up a hundred miles to your home, maybe you'll spend a thousand there. His love endures forever. This is the God who made all things. This is the God who liberated us. Uh, out of the house of slavery and brought us 
into the inheritance in which we stand. His love endures forever. And so that's the first vignette. The vignette of Israel. The community of ancient Israel gathering in the temple to celebrate the love of God. The next vignette that I want to look at is the vignette of the Messiah. The vignette of Jesus. And with some historical imagination, as we read through the Gospel, we hear multiple times that Jesus came up uh, to a, a high place, a mountain, and prayed. We don't get a description often of what those prayers are. Of course, we have the Lord's Prayer that he teaches his disciples, which, as we've talked about, kind of is this little condensed version of the entire book of Psalms. We also have that short little prayer uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, if there be another way, but thy will be done. In some ways, actually, that is a riff off of the Lord's Prayer. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so then, a little riff off of the whole book of Psalms again. A book that talks about the will of God. And so, I want to imagine that what Jesus is doing as he goes up to these mountains, goes up to these high places, he's praying the Psalms. He's thinking the Psalms. He's being formed by the Psalms. He's thinking through it. He's, it's changing him. It's affecting him. And imagine him looking or reflecting on Psalm 136. He likely had it memorized. Most Jews did. And he's thinking Psalm 136 and he's praying through it and he has that repeated line again and again through the mighty acts of God, his love endures forever. His love endures forever. His love endures forever. You know, I think that's what I'm supposed to do. His love endures forever. I'm supposed to be about my father's business. And he comes down the mountain and his love endures forever. And he goes to the uttermost. There's this line in the, in the Gospel of John where John just kind of, a uh, little note to the reader, he just says, and he loved his followers, and he loved them to the end or to the uttermost. Well, God, who loves his people to the uttermost? It's, it's God. His love endures forever. And yet Jesus discovers in a psalm like this it's exactly what I'm supposed to be about. His love endures forever. And so what about this last vignette? This last vignette is us. It, it's us going back all the way to the early church where Paul can say to the Ephesian church, speak to one another with psalms. And let's be clear, the Ephesian church is a largely non-Jewish church, not having not grown up in the Psalms, having not prayed the Psalms three times a day. It's a lot like our situation. I would venture to guess most of us have not really grown up with the Psalms in that sort of way. And that, and that is a problem. We, we could be missing out on all sorts of resonances. Imagine if we were queuing into the Psalms as Jesus was, where he could just have them on his lips as he's being crucified. Imagine if we were cued into the Psalms like the early apostles who wrote the New Testament 
and were quoting it like every other line. They were soaked in the Psalms. What would it look like for us to soak in the Psalms? What would it look like for us to soak in this Psalm? We've seen that for ancient Israel, it looked like seeing the God of Genesis 1, the Creator God, the God of the Exodus, the liberating God, and the God of the book of Joshua, bringing them into their inheritance, giving them a land in which now we dwell as Israelites. And so we remember the mighty acts of God and say His love endures forever. Or for Jesus, the Messiah, going up the mountain and discovering, I have to be about my Father's business. And so the Messiah, in communion with the Father, embodies the love of God. We are in communion with Jesus. We are in communion with each other. When we look at this psalm, on the one hand, I think we are supposed to do as ancient Israel did. They reflected on the mighty acts of God and declared His love endures forever. And so, something that kind of hit me like a ton of bricks this week as I was thinking about this sermon is there's this, there's this song in the book of Philippians in chapter 2 where it details out the loving act that Jesus as God has done for us. And it just struck me, what would it look like for us to break apart every single line and to acknowledge His love endures forever? And so, I have up here uh, Philippians 2, starting in verse 6. If you want to open up to it in your Bible, it's on page 950, uh, 951, that is. And so I'm going to ask that you respond in the same way as you did before with each line. Christ Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. Even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father, His love endures forever. This is what our God has done for us. And He has shown His love for us in this. We have to remember this. But it's through the Psalms that we have come to this recognition that in, in, in allowing the Psalms to shape the way we think, it shapes the way that we understand who Jesus is, what He's done for us. But it's not just that. 
if Israel remembered the mighty acts of God and Jesus embodied the mighty acts of God, we, in being the people of Jesus, are actually called to embody this as well. For those who have this scripture open, you might actually see that in verse 5 it says, you need to have the same mind. You need to have the same mindset as Jesus. Who gave himself for us? Who took the form of a slave? His love endures forever. This is what it looks like to be a community of people shaped by the Psalms, formed by the Psalms, changed by the Psalms. And so these are our three vignettes. Israel, the Messiah, and us. And so celebrating in the Psalms, I suggest, is, soak, is to soak in the Psalms, is to be in the Psalms on a regular basis. Because when we do that, we actually find that we're soaking in Jesus. When we soak in the Psalms, we are soaking in Jesus. We're doing as Jesus did. We're following after him. I, I had this uh, picture in my mind as I was preparing of a sponge. Imagine you have like this, this nice, really big uh, sponge that you might use to bail out a boat or something, and you thrust it in water, and it's just saturated with water. So much so that you know, anywhere you touch it, water drips, water drips, and like, you, you try to touch it the least amount that you can in order to hold all that water in. What if that's how we treated the Psalms? What if we spent times in the Psalms like that in a way that it just it gushed out from us? Someone could quote a line from it and you cue into it and be like, yes, his love endures forever. I know that Psalm. Changes the way I think about what Jesus has done for me. Affects the way that I go out and live for him. Because it affected how he lived. It affected how the early church lived. That's what it looks like to soak in the Psalms. And so I, I want to suggest a few um, takeaways or potential ways that we can go from here and take up the Psalms into our daily life. Because I'm convinced that when Paul says, speak to one another with Psalms, he's not saying, hey, you know what might be helpful for you guys, you might want to consider, you might want to consider speaking to one another with Psalms. This is like borderline a command I would really say it's an instruction. He's instructing this gent mostly Gentile church who didn't have the Psalms growing up, speak to one another with Psalms. It's, he's saying, be formed by the Psalms. Be changed by the Psalms. And watch your prayers be changed. So I have ten potential ways. It's kind of like a shotgun effect. It's just a smattering of ways that you and take up the Psalms into your daily life, into your daily rhythms. This is by no means an exhaustive list. Really, I hope that this is just a demonstration that creative thinking, you, you, you might come up with all sorts of ways to incorporate the Psalms into your daily life. And so one is to do exactly what we just did. Pray with the psalmist and through the Messiah. What I mean by that is put on some historical imagination. Perhaps you open up uh, to a psalm, in one translation. Maybe you open up in the NIV, uh, uh, which is what we use here, and you read through the Psalms at one go. And often what I might do is I might pray, Lord, teach me to pray. So I'm, I'm praying what the disciples ask. Lord, teach me to pray as I pray with the psalmist. And what I'm asking God is I'm asking him to 
help me to think through what, what might this psalm have meant for the psalmist. You actually will find in many psalms a little superscription above the psalm that says, this is when David was in the cave fleeing from Doeg the Elamite. Or, you know, <laughs> kind of funny little things. But these are little links back to the story of David that you can use to think through what might this have meant for David to be praying. And then you take up the psalm in that way and you think through the psalm in that way far before you think through, how am I supposed to pray this psalm? The psalm's weird. The psalm is strange. Well, what was it like for David? Or what was it like for Israel? And then pray through the Messiah. And so then I, I, you might open up to a different translation. Maybe you open up to the ESV and you say, Lord, teach me to pray as I pray through the Messiah. And you think through, what might this have meant for Jesus to pray? As you think through his life, as you think through his sacrifice, as you think through his calling a community to himself, disciples to himself, as you think about him being betrayed, as you think about him being vindicated in resurrection. And then I find, like, without fail, that by the, by the time I'm going to go through the psalm that third time, I have a prayer in mind. I have something that I want to bring to the table. Like, what else could I pray but this? when I now take up the psalm as my own. This is what we've just, we just did. Another thing is you can pray alongside David. And this is uh, related to what I just said about praying with the psalmist, but maybe you're going to devotionally read through the book of Samuel. You're going to devotionally read through the life of David. Why not take up the psalms at the same time? Maybe read uh, a psalm along with each chapter and think through, what is... What, what is David communicating through the Psalms? How, how, what did the Psalms maybe mean in the life of David? So that's one way. But then if you could do it with David, why not also with Jesus? Pray alongside Jesus. Maybe you open up to a gospel and you're going to read through a gospel devotionally. And you take, again, maybe you read through a Psalm uh, each time you sit down to read a chapter of that gospel. And again, think through what would it look like for Jesus to be praying this book at every step of his life. A practice that has been uh, done by many people in the church is praying five psalms a day. It sounds like a lot, but actually I've taken up this practice and it, I, I should say I unfaithfully, faithfully do this practice. And what I do is I stretch it out through my day. It's a way that I, I try to think about praying without ceasing. And so in the morning when I wake up, at breakfast, at lunch, at dinner, and when I go to bed, sometimes I'm doing like three psalms at dinner. Sometimes I haven't done any psalms and we'll give it a go the next day. But the idea of it is, if you do your math, there's 150 psalms, five psalms a day, that gets you through the psalms every month. Imagine going through the Psalms every month. It, you would really start to remember a lot of these. It would start to form your thinking. It would start to shape the way that you, oh, it makes me think about Psalm 82. Oh my God, I've never thought about Psalm 82 before in my life. So you take up this, this is actually what Billy Graham, that he has a really great phrase. He, he once said that I pray five Psalms a day to get along with God and I read a chapter of Proverbs a day to get along with man. Proverbs is uh, 31 chapters, so more or less you can 
kind of like track through uh, both of those at the same time and get through both in a month. But maybe five psalms is too much. And so you could pray three psalms a day. You could do breakfast, lunch, dinner. You could pray one psalm a day. That gets you through the whole book of psalms uh, two and a half times every year. Or you might discern that for a time, you're just going to pray one psalm for a period of time, 40 days perhaps. Perhaps you're going through something. This is actually something, and this, this ties in with the next one, pray with companions. Um, this is actually something that I did with a group of guys of mine who were really struggling with forgiveness. They, just, they, they, they felt that they really struggled to receive God's forgiveness. And so I suggested, what if we took 40 days as guys to pray through Psalm 51 every single day, 40 days. And so every morning, we you know, were in different places, and we prayed through that psalm, but then we texted each other, and we, we maybe mentioned uh, what stood out to us that day. It changed our lives. And by the end of 40 days, you better believe, I had that psalm memorized. It was amazing. It was a life-changing experience. But pray with companions. Maybe... You go through the psalms with your wife. Maybe you commit and say, hey, I want, I want to uh, do the psalms every day. Uh, maybe you do it at dinner time. I, w- I want to go through the book of psalms. And we actually, my wife and I, have uh, a Bible on our dinner table for that very purpose. So that when we come to dinner, it's just easy. We grab it. And that's what we pray. That's what we use to uh, go into our mealtime. And we are shaped by the psalms together. But I also suggest pray with people. And how I see that as different than companions is you just have random guests over for dinner or or a meal. You go out for coffee with someone and you say, hey, I've actually been going through the Psalms. I I do a a few Psalms every day and now is right about the time that I would be doing it. Would you like to do this Psalm with me? I do this all the time with people and I find that people are skeptical on the front end but they never say no. And by the end, they're like, wow. And, they, and then there's conversation that sparks off of it. It's been a wonderful practice. It's been wonderful. And then last, pray with a guide. Perhaps you're a little intimidated to just jump into the Psalms cold turkey. So why not take up a book like Tim Keller's The Songs of Jesus? It's a really, really simple devotional through the Psalms. It takes you through the book of Psalms uh, in 365 days. And it breaks up the psalm, so you're not really reading uh, one psalm uh, in its entirety. Uh, some psalms that are really short you might do, but say Psalm 119 that has like 176 verses. Yikes, don't let that intimidate you. He'll break up into maybe eight verse chunks, and you'll do that over the course of 22 days, or, or however much that would be. But... My point in this is not necessarily that you take this and think, wow, Dave is asking me to do one of these ten things and I I don't know if that fits my personality, I don't know if that fits my schedule. I'm just trying to give examples of what it looks like to actually be faithful to what the Apostle Paul thinks that we should be doing. Speaking to one another with Psalms. Celebrating in the Psalms by soaking in the Psalms together. One last thing that I, I want to conclude with um, before we go into communion is to actually notice that this, the, 
the Psalms is interesting. It can be preached in a few different ways. It can be preached by saying, this is what this psalm is about. It's about his love endures forever. It's about him being the creator God. And look in this verse, and it talks about that. But also notice that the psalm has a structure, that it, it teaches us to come to it, and the fact that this particular psalm, Psalm 136, has a refrain that gets repeated, that makes scholars think that this was likely a psalm intended for corporate worship, where the community gathers and they respond to the mighty acts of God by saying, his love endures forever. And that in itself teaches us something. The very structure of the psalm teaches us. Imagine you're, most of the world was illiterate, not able to read up until about like 200 years ago. And so how did they learn these psalms? How did they learn about the gospel? How did they learn about the story of God and his people? They mostly heard it. And so, again, imagine you're in ancient Israel and you go to the temple and you don't know the story of, uh, of Og, king of Bashan, and Sihon, king of the Amorites, but you're taught to say, his love endures forever. And you walk away and you know what you have to take away. His love endures forever. And you've been given a tune to sing it to. His love endures forever. You go home back 125 miles and you're singing that in your head. You may, you may not remember any other line, but you like, I can't get that out of my head. His love endures forever. You know, this was actually a practice in the 1800s during the revival movement. Actually, Dwight L. Moody, when he was holding his revivals, he had a, um, a composer, kind of like Billy Graham and George Beverly Shea, sort of a, a duo, where... Uh, he would come, have this tent meeting, and all the peoples from the surrounding um, region would come out to the tent, and there would be all these hymns that would get sung at the tent revival, but no one knew these hymns, but they were simple. They were easy to pick up. They were memorable. One of uh, the most famous ones is the hymn, Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. And I've been thinking about this hymn all week preparing because I've been thinking this, this hymn actually really gets it in, in a similar way to Psalm 136. That it just breaks apart every single line and it's like you have no choice but to reflect on what Jesus has done and to think nothing but the blood of Jesus. And so as we go into communion, we're going to be singing uh, that, that hymn together. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for meeting with us and thank you for giving us a prayer book that we can actually call ours and that has a life to it that we can be invited into and to be shaped by, to be molded by, to be changed by as you yourself was, uh, were formed in it by becoming man. We see that God's love endures forever. And we see that you embodied that love for us, an unending love. God, we pray that you would um, equip us with your word, that you would change us by it, and that you would gather us together again and again to be shaped and to be formed by your own love through your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.